But today in our passage, we continue this account as Paul gives witness to the, the Roman chief commander. He speaks to the Roman centurions, and he speaks also to the Jewish high priest and the council, the Sanhedrin council that is gathered there. Um, and the title of my sermon this morning is A Testimony of Providence. And we will see today how God moves circumstances, how God moves people like pieces of um, like, like pieces in a chess game to bring about his plans for his servant Paul. And God had a plan for Paul, and we see how God was working behind the scenes in Paul's life so as to get him to Rome to preach the gospel to, to the, the kings and governors um, as God had planned. So please stand with me. We'll read from verse 23 to chapter 23, verse 11. Acts 22, we will read from verse 23 to chapter 23, verse 11. Up to this word they listened to him, then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched out for their whips, when they had stretched him out for their, for their whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, what are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, Yes. And the tribune answered, I bought the citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, But I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune also was afraid. For he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. And he brought Paul down and set him before them. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck. Those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of a Pharisee. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply, we find nothing wrong in this man. 
What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. And the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all of these details that you have recorded for us to learn from, especially as we examine the Apostle Paul's life, Lord. We see, Lord, how he stood for what was true and how you encouraged him to continue to testify of him despite his difficult circumstances. And we pray that you help us as we examine again this topic of being a testimony for you, a faithful witness, Lord, that you would encourage our hearts this morning. We pray that you would teach us and that you would help us, Lord, to be a people who are faithfully sharing the gospel with those around us, with the opportunities and the, the chances that you give us, Lord. And I pray today, Father, that you would teach us. We ask that you would open our eyes. We ask that you would open our ears. And most important, Lord, you open our hearts today to the word. And that your spirit, Lord, would convict us of sin, but also comfort us where we need to be comforted this morning. So we pray for your help. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. So I remember when I was a, a youngster, a, a, a youth, we went with our youth ministry down um, to the south coast in South Africa on a mission trip. And our responsibilities were during the day, we were evangelizing and we had um, this evangelism program where we would go onto the beaches and we would um, gather the children and we would share stories with them and, and share the gospel with them. But in the evenings, we would go down to the city and we would walk around trying to find people that we could speak one-on-one -on -one to and share the gospel with them. Well, the one night I was walking past, um, past a, a number of different shops and I saw a man sitting on a bench in the, in the street and I thought, well, now's my chance. Now's my chance to share the gospel with him. And I sat down with him and we had been given a program and I knew exactly what to say and I knew the steps I needed to, to say and and I thought I had shared the gospel with this man. And at the end of that opportunity, I said to him, well, do you want to become a Christian? And he kind of nodded his head and he said, yes. And, and I didn't know really what else to do. So I prayed for him. And, and then I said to him, okay, well, now you're a Christian. And um, he looked at me and said, thank you very much. And he, he got up and he turned around and he walked back into the bottle store that was just around the corner from us. Um, he had come out the bottle store and then he had gone back into the bottle store. And I thought to myself, wow, you know, I'd really, I'd really messed up. I wasn't sure what I was doing. I wasn't sure if I was sharing um, the right message of the gospel. And I really, I really felt like I had failed in that, in that attempt to share the gospel with this, with this man. And over the years, that failure has led me to, to pray for this man. I hope that at least a seed was planted. I pray that at least somebody else was more faithful with the gospel. I pray for him. And that God would save this man in spite of my inadequacies, in spite of my, 
my failure to share faithfully the gospel with him. But it also led me to, 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 to learn, to try and learn more about what the gospel is. And um, it led me to get some training in how to share my faith. But in spite of all of the training and in spite of all the books that I've read over the subject over the years, I still find that witnessing is, is something that I'm not very good at. It's not something that I achieve at. And I have ups and I have downs. And sometimes there are still failures. And sometimes I do okay. But I think this is an area where we all can grow. And Paul's story here should encourage every Christian in the ups and the downs that we have when it comes to sharing the gospel with others, when it comes to witnessing to others. Even though Paul probably could have handled things better than he did, the Lord graciously appeared to him when he was discouraged, as we see right at the end there in verse 11. And the Lord says to Paul, take courage. He says to him, for as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome also. So the lesson we have today for us here in the scriptures, despite our circumstances, if we will speak out for Christ, even when, we, even when we blow it, He will graciously encourage us and He will allow us further opportunities to speak out for Him. So my first point this morning is God's providential protection of Paul. God's providential protection of Paul. Look at verse 23. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. Remember, Paul had been speaking to the, 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 the audience around him in Aramaic, which was a Hebrew dialect of the day. And the commander there probably didn't understand everything that Paul was saying, probably not much that Paul was saying. He didn't know what he had said to the, to the mob, but this commander was determined to find out what Paul was saying. And he decided to beat the truth out of Paul, literally. And he took him back to the castle of Antonia, it tells us, to flog him. Now, flogging was a horrible type of torture. And this whipping consisted of strips of leather that had sharp metal and had pieces of bone that had been fastened to these cords. And these strips of leather were, were fastened to a handle that were used to beat this person. And if a person did not die under the, the flogging, he would certainly be crippled, severely hurt. And the whole purpose of this whipping was really to force a confession out of criminals. And we see what happens as the soldiers are stretching out Paul to, to tie him for this beating. He asks the centurion in verse 25, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? Um, we know Paul knew the law. He knew the, the Mosaic law. And it seems he, he knew the, the law even of the Romans. And Paul was exercising his legal right to protect himself from being persecuted. And there is... Obviously, nothing wrong with doing that. And the centurion quickly informed the commander of this situation. And the commander was alarmed to hear that um, what Paul had said, and he had discovered that 
Paul was indeed a Roman citizen. He knew he was now going to be in trouble. In fact, it tells us Paul was born a citizen, whereas the commander, he obtained his citizenship by paying a large sum of money. And to punish a Roman citizen illegally was punishable by death. And these Romans were about to commit a very serious offense. And in God's providence, notice there, in God's providence, this centurion realized that this flogging on Paul could have cost him his position and other serious consequences. And he had revealed in his conversation that he was a slave who had purchased his citizenship for a high amount of money, but Paul was born a Roman. And the commander quickly, we see, had Paul untied. We see from the life of Paul, as recorded in the book of Acts, as well as his epistles, which make up a large part of the, the New Testament, that he had learned much about Christ up to this point in his life. And this knowledge of Christ and the character of Christ had helped Paul helped him through these circumstances in the way which he did. And Paul had learned that no matter what circumstances that he was in, God was still on the throne. And God was still in control. And no matter how the circumstances appeared on the outside, God was the one who was really in control. That leads to my second point. Look at verse 30 in verse 22. We see God's providential deliverance from an angry Sanhedrin. Look at verse 30. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. And he brought Paul down and set him before him. So we know the Roman centurion, he was responsible to maintain the, the peace there in Jerusalem. And the commander, but still, he wanted to find out what was going on between Paul and the Jews. He still didn't know what was happening. So he calls the, the Jewish Sanhedrin council. So this Sanhedrin was a, was, a, was a political council that consisted of religious rulers, relig uh, political religious rulers in Jerusalem. Um, at the, and it probably came to about 70 of these people. This must have been probably a tense moment for Paul himself because he used to be one of these people on the Sanhedrin council. He had probably been there in the same seats 25 years before. Remember, he was sent out by the Sanhedrin to arrest Christians as, as heretics before he converted to Christ. And Paul undoubtedly knew some of these men who were sitting in this council. And now they were hostile towards him and they, they hated him because he had become a Christian. And they must have thought of him as an apostate from Judaism. So this trial before the Sanhedrin had served two purposes. First, it was the means that God used in his providential care of Paul to get him officially arrested by the Romans and then taken ultimately to Rome, which we will see later on. But secondly, this was God's last major appeal to the Jews to turn to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. 
They had rejected the teachings of the apostles in Jerusalem. The Jews had rejected Christ. And they had rejected the message of Stephen about Christ. And now what would they do with Paul and his message about Christ? This was really their last opportunity. This was God's final appeal for the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem to receive Christ as their Lord. So Jerusalem was really in the balance here. They had denied the Lord, they had denied Stephen, they had denied the apostles, and now they were denying the Apostle Paul himself. And we know the theocracy would be judged. We know Israel would be judged. And in 70 AD, Israel would be destroyed because of their arrogance, because of their stubbornness, because of their, their stiff neck and their refusal to come to faith in Jesus Christ, to accept Jesus as the Messiah. Look at verse 1 in chapter 23 there. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him in the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck. Those who stood by said, Would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. So Paul began his witness before this council by, we we are told, looking intently at them. Face to face, eyeball to eyeball, looking intently at them. Facial expressions and I think body language can tell you a lot about where, where people are and what people are thinking. Um, often I've seen people sitting in church with their, their arms folded and looking intently at me, not agreeing with what I'm saying. Just their body language is, is communicating that to me. You, know, you don't have to be a PhD in communication to realize that sometimes people are not friendly towards you just by their body language. And Paul made his opening statement about living with a good conscience before God. And the Greek verb translated live my life means to to live as a citizen. And I think in this context, it has reference to Paul's life as a Jew in this Jewish theocracy that he found himself living in. He's denying the charge leveled against him of bringing a Gentile into the exclusive Jewish section of the the temple. And we can't be sure why or where Paul was planning on on going from there because he he is shut up, he is hit in the mouth, and he can't continue speaking. And perhaps he would have gone on to show them how even though he had been sincere in persecuting the Christians, he had been sincerely wrong, and perhaps he would have gone on to speak about Jesus clearly to the to the council that was there we don't know because he was he was shut up in his in his testimony that he was giving i suppose from there he could have he could have appealed to them to um, acknowledge their errors and how ever sincere they thought they were they needed to maybe look at paul but paul didn't get the chance paul didn't get the chance to speak further And there's been much discussion as to what Paul's motives were in 
speaking to the, the high priest in the way he did. Um, it, it can, depending how you read it, it can come off maybe a little arrogant, some people have said. And some have said that, that since Paul had been gone from Jerusalem for quite a while, he might not have known who the high priest was, and, and therefore he, he said what he said. But regardless of Paul's motives, we don't know Paul's motives. We don't know why he responded to the high priest in the way that he did. We Christians need to be careful how we respond to those who mistreat us. And I think that's the lesson here. The Scriptures speak to us about how to respond to those who mistreat us. And of course, Jesus is the best example that we have, isn't it, of how to bear up under trials when, when we are being mistreated unjustly by others. Um, Isaiah the, the prophet, he prophesied about Jesus in Isaiah 53 verse 7. He said, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Turn with me quickly, if you would, to 1 Peter. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. There's, I think, another important verse that goes well with this. 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse 21, concerning how Christ is to be our own example for suffering. In verse 21 it says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in His steps. And He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. And when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. We know that Jesus taught us to love our enemies. We know that Jesus taught us to pray for our enemies. He taught us to do good to them. And in verse 5, Paul says that he did not know that this was the high priest. And we really don't know why Paul didn't recognize him, but I think we have to take Paul's word for it. He tells us that here in this passage, and we need to accept that and believe that. And the lesson for us to apply is when you know, when we, when we make these errors, and Paul has made an error here. Paul has made a misjudgment here. He has made a, a mistake. When we make these types of mistakes, we need to be willing and quick to admit we are wrong to, and correct our mistakes. You know, if we don't, if we instead, if we choose to rather become arrogant and we choose to become non-repentant, I think we'll only reinforce people's prejudice against Christians and the prejudice that we are that we are hypocrites and that we are phonies if we will not if we will not admit that we are wrong. If we confess our mistakes, people will get the message. Christians are not perfect. But they are willing to admit their mistakes and they are willing to make things right. And perhaps they will learn that there really is a reality in our lives when it comes to walking with God, if we are willing to be honest. As Paul was about to be condemned to death in this mock trial by the, the Sanhedrin, he realized that the group of these 70 men which had comprised the Sanhedrin, 
it was divided in half. And we read that further on. Half were made of Pharisees, half were made by Sadducees. And he tells us he himself had once been one of these Pharisees. He was a strict Pharisee. And so he knew that he could divide this group in half by claiming that he was on trial for the resurrection of the dead. See, the Pharisees, they believed in a general resurrection of the dead. But the, the Sadducees didn't. Um, I was always um, taught the Sadducees were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. And Paul knew that the Pharisees would support him in this teaching. Verse 9, look at verse 9, chapter 23. It tells us, some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply. We find nothing wrong in this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And then look at verse 10. It tells us, And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go back and take him away from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. And again here, notice the providential care for Paul. Just a few words were used by God to cause a fight which divided this Sanhedrin in half. And just a few minutes before, these same men were solidly against the Apostle Paul. They were united in their hatred for him. And God uses the smallest, really insignificant things to accomplish his purpose. God just laughs at the plans and the purposes of, of puny men, and He uses the most simple things to bring about His purposes. Psalm 37 tells us in verse 12, The wicked plot against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him, but the Lord laughs at the wicked, for He sees that His day is coming. But my third point, we see God's providential declaration to Paul. This is where I want to really try and bring this message together. In verse 11, I think this is the key verse in the whole passage there. It tells us, The following night, the Lord stood by him, stood by Paul, and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. So for Paul, things had gone from bad to worse here in Jerusalem. He, all he wanted to do in Jerusalem was enjoy the Feast of Pentecost. And look what had happened. He was on trial for his life. He was a Roman prisoner. He was in a Roman barracks and he was under Roman guard. Nothing had gone according to his plan. But notice in this verse, it tells us that the Lord told him to take courage. Paul must have been discouraged at this point. He had blown his witness. And here his witness before the Sanhedrin also was not going well. And the future looked uncertain for Paul. It looked bleak for Paul. And he didn't know if he would ever get to Rome as he had hoped he would. And at that moment, the Lord himself stood beside the Apostle Paul and said to him, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts, another version says, as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause in Jerusalem, so you must testify. They were testify is witness. And we've been looking at these words the last couple of weeks. 
He was going to testify. He was going to witness to the Lord, for the Lord in Rome. What words of encouragement and hope these must have been for the Apostle Paul. But notice the grace here and the encouragement that the Lord extends to His servant. You know, this was the fourth time that the Lord had appeared to Paul. And just when Paul needed it, the Lord came and spoke these words of encouragement. Now, these were rare for the Apostle Paul, and I'm sure they're extremely rare to all of us, if, if at all, for the rest of us. I'm sure we've never had the Lord appear to any of us. But, you know, I've heard stories of persecuted prisoners who have seen a vision of the Lord and have been encouraged. And I don't doubt such experiences. The Lord can do, He could do this if He wanted to. But the normal way the Lord encourages us when we feel that we've blown it is by, is by bringing us to an encouraging verse of Scripture or through an encouraging word or note from somebody that um, may not even know what we're going through, may not even know what we need at that moment. And our gracious Lord is aware of our discouragement and He wants us to be encouraged by the promise of His presence and the promise of His assurance that He will use us again in the future, even if we have blown it. And this passage of Scripture has really ministered to me this week. You know, this week has been really tough for, for our family. Tuesday morning we said goodbye to Yasin and Nagina and Samim. And we were really crushed when they told us that they had made the decision to go back to Afghanistan. Um, they had been living with us for 11 months and, and we were all fighting and hoping for a better future for all of them. And their mom, who, who's a single mother, had been very sick and she had been pleading with them constantly to come back. And they had become tired of, of fighting this battle and they had been tired of being separated from their family. So they decided enough was enough and that they were going back to Afghanistan. But I'd asked the Lord a few times this week, why? Why, Lord? You know, what was the point of all of this? You know, why did nothing happen in the 11 months that they were with us. And I learned from this passage this week that, that God is sovereign, that God is in control, even in our difficult circumstances, even when we don't understand the circumstances around us. <clears throat> and I was ministered again this week by a song, which I, I want you to follow. I won't sing it to you. I'm just going to read the words by Stephen Curtis Chapman about God's sovereignty. The song is called God is God. And the words go, And the pain falls like a curtain on the things I once called certain. And I have to say the words I fear the most, I just don't know. And the questions without answers come and paralyze the dancer. So I stand here on the stage afraid to move, afraid to fall, Oh, but fall I must on this truth that my life has been formed from the dust. God is God and I am not. I can only see a part of the picture he's painting. God is God and I am man, so I'll never understand it all, for only God is God. Please continue to pray for our three 
Afghan friends. Now, I'm so thankful for all of you who sacrificed for them and showed them Christ in practical ways and, and just loved them. And even as we helped pack their bags this week, Nagina showed us some of the clothing items that, that Sister jo Josephine had bought for them before she died. And Yassin said to me once when, when I'd collected him um, from music practice, they were learning to play guitar, so they, they used to go to music practice, and I asked him how was practice, and he said to me, he said to me once, well, it was wonderful. And he said that normally people ask him, who am I? But he says here at New Life Church, people ask me, how am I? And only, he, say, he says to me, only family asks that question. So thank you, faith family, for being a witness for the love of the love of Christ to them. Even though we never got to see them embrace Jesus as their their Lord and Savior, we can find encouragement today that God is God and we can only see part of the picture He's painting. I said to Kerry the other day, imagine if Yassin gave his life to Christ after realizing the, the gospel message was true and he became zealous for Christ and became a, a powerful witness for Him in Afghanistan. Wouldn't that be wonderful? But as we learn today, all we can do is trust God. Even when we blow it, even when we, we, we mess up, we can trust the Lord to use our feeble attempts and to remember that God doesn't need perfect disciples to accomplish His sovereign plan. God is God. And to say this, I'm not excusing our weaknesses, but I'm trying to exalt God's greatness and God's power. He is God. We are not. And let's hear what the Lord is saying to us as a church today. You know, we all are responsible to speak out for Christ, despite the circumstances that we find ourselves in. And I know our sister Josephine would be saying amen to that right now. But be encouraged, folks. Sometimes we do mess up. Sometimes we do blow it. Or things don't go the way as we hope they would. But even if we've blown it as a witness for Christ, we need to, we need to get back up to the plate and we need to, we need to swing again. Now, our gracious Lord is in control and He will use us if we are willing for Him to use us despite our inadequacies. Our gracious Lord will use us in spite of our mistakes if we will speak out for Him. Let me just address here for those who are not Christians. If you are not a Christian, you should know that God has a plan because He's sovereign, which includes who will go to heaven and who will go to hell. We spoke a little bit about that this morning. And based on His character, God promises to save every man who will, by an act of His will, trust Jesus as His personal Lord and Savior. If you will repent of your sins and come to Christ in faith, you will learn that your whole salvation was part of the plan of God. And trust Christ, and then you will come to understand that God loves you, and that He does have a wonderful plan for your life. But Christians, hear the word that the Lord has for us today, that we are responsible to speak out for Christ. Every opportunity that we have is a privilege to tell others about the love of God. Don't use your past um, failures as an excuse not to share Christ with those around you. 
God has a people who He will save, and He uses us to that end. We thank the Lord for that privilege. Father, we do thank You for Your Word today. Thank You, Lord, for the reminder in verse 11 that we too can take courage, even if we have failed in our attempts to testify of the facts about You, even though things may have not turned out the way we had hoped with people that we had witnessed to, and even though we may not see the fruit, Lord, even of those that we, that we cry over, that we, that we plead to come to Christ over. Lord, the fruit is in Your hands, and Lord, we pray that You would give us the confidence in Your character to trust You to save those who will be saved, those who need to be saved. Lord, we pray that help us to be faithful, help us to be obedient, that you would use us, Lord, for your glory, that you would use us to share Christ with those around us who are still dying in their sins. So, Lord, help us this week, we pray. Help us this week to be obedient in sharing the good news with those who need to know the truth. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.